This is Office Hours from Westminster Seminary, California. Call the show now at 760-480-8477. Email us at officehours at wscal.edu. Now, Scott Clark. This is Season 6 of Office Hours, and our theme is To Know Wisdom. Foolishness has been a part of the human condition since the fall, but it was not that way in the beginning. We were not created to be fools, and it is possible to find wisdom even after the fall. But to do that, one must know where to look. In Job 28, 12 through 13, God's Word says, But where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its worth, and it is not to be found in the land of the living. Is that a counsel of despair, or is there a place of understanding? The book of Job is one of many places in Scripture that helps us to answer this question, and joining us to help us answer this question is Mike Horton, J. Gresham Machen, professor of systematic theology and apologetics at Westminster Seminary, California. He's author of a great number of books, including Calvin on the Christian Life, The Christian Faith, and Christless Christianity. His newest book is Ordinary. These and other faculty titles are available through... The Bookstore at Westminster Seminary, California at wscal.edu slash bookstore. Hi, Mike, and welcome back to Office Hours. Hey, Scott. Glad to be with you. We're talking about wisdom, so let's do some basics. How do you define wisdom? Well, the things that are most important in life are often the most difficult to define. What is love? It's easy to descend into abstraction. That's season seven of Office Hours. (laughs) (laughs) I I love the line from, uh, you might remember this, uh, Supreme Court Justice Potter Stewart was asked years ago to define pornography, and he said, I know it when I see it. And that's sort of the way it is with the biggest things in life, love, friendship. And wisdom is sort of like that. And I think one reason it's difficult to define it is because it lies at the busy intersection between theory and practice. Wisdom's actually the skill that transforms right knowledge into right action. And so it keeps us from being impulsive. You know, we could just get her done. <laughs> Einstein said that the perfection of means and the ignorance of ends characterizes Americans. And I think that that's true about our culture, certainly true about me. I tend to be impulsive. Just do it. Just finish it. And uh, we've got to stop, slow down. At the same time, wisdom says, leap. Once you look, leap. You know, you can study the plays, but freeze instead of running down the field for a pass. And at some point, we have to act on what we know. And wisdom is the combination of knowledge and discernment to be able to discriminate between not just right and wrong, but crucially between things that aren't necessarily black and white, but good, better, and best versus bad, worse, and worst. All right, let's think about that, because you've said a mouthful there. It's practical, but it's also theoretical. In other words, there are things that you have to think about, and then things you have to do. And then before that, you talked about slowing down. Yeah. So let's go back and work through some of that. Why is slowing down so important for acquiring wisdom? We live at a breakneck pace. Uh, We're texting, we're tweeting, we're Facebooking, uh, we're on our cell phone, uh, we've got a television going, and uh, we're picking up our kids all at the same time, and we're doing it at 75 miles an hour. Can you accumulate wisdom at that pace? I think it's hard. It would have bewildered past generations to imagine that you could. You know, for example, think about what we're told in Proverbs, consider the ant. 
Good grief. What? Consider the ant. Who has time for that? Yeah. Take some time, sit down, and watch the ant. You notice how the ant, you know, they all move, they all march in order, but they don't have a commander. You know, all these observations that uh, are laid out for us there, it's not just watch the ant. The book of Proverbs is full of calls to observe, to stop, smell the roses, look at life, slow down, and learn even from the ants. Good grief. Look how much they pull off in a day. And yet we busy ourselves with all kinds of distractions. That's really what that verse says. So you mean you can't get wisdom from Wikipedia? (laughs) You know, there are lots of things that you can get online. There are lots of purposes for Facebook. There are lots, I guess. There are lots of things that you can do now to get in touch with people quickly and to give them shopping lists or tell them that you're coming over at 8, whatever. The problem is when we don't sandbag the important things in our lives from that onslaught, from that flood of emails and Twitters and phone ringing and so forth, and really say, look, the most important things in life can't be done that way. Look at your marriage, look at raising a family, look at all the really important things in life, becoming an athlete, learning a new hobby, all this stuff that's really important in our lives that we really value, all of that takes time. Uh, Aristotle really emphasized this point that, you know, no one's born with wisdom. It's something that has to be acquired over time, and it can't just be acquired from books. It has to be acquired from long experience, and not by yourself, but long experience within a community that is virtuous enough to give you the virtues of wisdom for whatever it is that you think is important. Here's a quote from Aristotle's Ethics. He says, Whereas young people become accomplished in geometry and mathematics, and wise within these limits, prudent young people do not seem to be found. The reason is that prudence is concerned with particulars as well as universals, and particulars become known from experience. But a young person lacks experience since some length of time is needed to produce it. And that's why wise cultures, not just Christian, but wise cultures have said, There's a certain privileging of elders. Instead of being forever young, the cult of our age, it's growing up, becoming mature, longing to have the kind of life experience and wisdom that simply comes from from living in the world longer than one has. You're listening to Office Hours from Westminster Seminary, California. So wisdom takes, at the beginning, a couple of things. One, it takes time. You can't get wisdom overnight. You can't download wisdom. You can't get it immediately. Yeah. And so that's frustrating to our culture. It takes because a while to observe things. It takes sometimes years and years. And so one way to get wisdom or one place where we can look for wisdom is in those who have experience. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, it's like that with anything. You can't really, I know, I, we live in California, people try. You can't really become a great wine connoisseur by a YouTube video. You can't really build a great house, become a craftsman by going to the Home Depot do-it-yourself seminar. You have to be a part of a community of craftsmen, learn sometimes the untranslatable skills Here you have a community of people who take that craft seriously. They love it enough to really spend their time learning about it. That's where you need to place yourself if you want to become a craftsman. If you want to become a wise person, hang around wise people. And that means that young people shouldn't just hang out with other young people, especially in the church. 
Uh, as Paul told Timothy, younger men should learn from older men and younger women from older women. There's something here that's just common sense. So observation, but paying attention, Grandpa used to say. Yeah. Right? Pay attention, boy. Yeah. What he was saying is, I'm about to show you something that hitherto you didn't know that I want to transmit to you. And that's learned by mentoring, in a sense. Yeah. My kids, you know, I'm not a great fisherman, but I like to fish. My kids are getting a little better at it. When they started, they didn't leave the line in the water long enough to catch a living thing. And uh, you know, they're always pulling it up, always pulling up, see if there's anything on it, pulling it up, pulling it up. It was so frustrating. Well, we acknowledge that those are frustrating but normal traits of kids. As they mature, though, you hope at least that they begin to acquire patience, that they realize that from experience, the longer they have the line in the water, the more likely they are to catch a fish and so forth. By hanging around even basically competent fishermen, they learn to fish. Think about riding a bike. You know, you become competent at it eventually. And the goal of discipleship is to become competent members of the Christian church. Michael Polanyi uh, describes this process of transmitting knowledge as a personal process. And wisdom is quintessentially, in this respect, something that's transmitted from one person to another over time. So he just talks about how a luthier makes a musical instrument. And you can't learn from reading how to pick the right tree. You know from experience, from skill, accumulated over time and practice by making mistakes. Yeah. And, and then how to work with the wood and how to form and fashion and shape it. And that's why a lot of important jobs are learned by apprenticeship. And why we here, for example, have an extensive pastoral internship program. Because there's a lot we can do here, but there are things that we cannot do. And one of those things that our students, particularly our MDiv students, need to do is to spend time with experienced, seasoned pastors. Absolutely. To see how they spend their time, how they talk with other people, what it's like to you know, visit a nursing home and what it's like to make a hospital call or... Talk to grieving parents. Talk to grieving parents, exactly. Yeah, you know, another example of exactly what you're talking about, think of becoming a good cook. Say you have a bug to become a sort of uh, amateur chef. Well, one of the great things about cookbooks is you have quasi-canonical recipes that are passed down. That's great. That's important, especially when, you know, you want to do it according to the book, as it were. But you also need to do that by learning alongside other chefs. So nobody says, I have suddenly become this really wonderful connoisseur and chef of Provençal cooking by getting a book on Provençal recipes. In the same way, the scriptures are meant to be read. They're canonical. But as the Westminster Larger Catechism says, the Spirit blesses the reading, but especially the preaching of scripture as a means of grace, because it calls us out of ourselves to cling to Christ. In the same way, we need to be called out of ourselves, not only to read the Bible, but also to have that Word of God shape us through the expertise and competence of people who've lived with that word over a long period of time. Even if they're not necessarily highly read, they may have a great deal of wisdom about godliness, about piety, about practical Christian living that can be learned, in a sense, by imitation and observation. We might even say, in a sense, osmosis. Well, exactly. And that is exactly what doesn't happen when you think that you can get everything by sitting in front of a computer. 
You know, there are a lot of people today, Scott, you know what I'm talking about here, a lot of people today who say, I don't need to come to seminary. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to go to church. I can get this stuff online. Well, first of all, that's foolish. That's not wisdom. (laughs) That's foolishness. Amen, right? I mean, so here we're talking about wisdom and foolishness, and the notion that we can live our Christian life in isolation from other Christians, or that we can set up our own sort of fellowship group in a coffee house. We could become disciples without being around disciples. And substitute that for the divinely ordained community, which Scripture calls the church— Right, Jesus says, tell it to the church. Mm-hmm. Right, That's in the scriptures. And in Matthew uh, 16, he gives the keys of the kingdom to the visible institutional church. So to think that you can grow, learn godly Christian living in isolation from the institution that Jesus established and the means that he gave to the church is the definition of foolishness, isn't it? It is. And you really don't have much of a leg to stand on if you're going to criticize that if you also made the argument against going to seminary on the basis of being able to find everything that you need online. Well, then why can't your parishioners find everything online? Why do they have to come to church? Look, the bottom line is we have come to the place now where we have reduced wisdom to knowledge and knowledge to data. There's that great line from T.S. Eliot's poem, The Rock, where is all the wisdom that we have lost in knowledge and all the knowledge that we have lost in information? Think of, for example, I've heard people say, well, you know, you've got all the software and everything, you can do everything online. Why do I need to come to seminary and learn the scriptures in the original languages with other people? Well, it's not just because you're around faculty. It's because you're around students, iron sharpening iron, you're in a community. There's nothing that compensates for being in a room where you are actually taking apart First John. Or sitting down and talking to Bob Godfrey about a church discipline case that he experienced in 1975. Yeah, right. Maybe decades before the student was at least actively engaging these kinds of issues. Uh, he was at the Senate of Dort. So <laughs> that is exactly the thing. Our culture prizes youthfulness. It prizes the values and virtues associated with youthfulness. Now, there are values and virtues associated with youthfulness. That's why the older people need the younger people as well as the younger the older, because there's a vitality there. There's a questioning spirit. There is a... Somebody to show Bob how to use the computer. (laughs) Well, yeah, to turn his phone on. And all of that's useful and important. The different generations connect us to our time and place, the past and the present and the future. That's all important. Nevertheless, you cannot reduce truth to knowledge. It is a skill to discriminate between, for example, a passage here that seems to contradict a whole spate of teachings over here. Now you've got to wrestle with that and, as Paul says, rightly divide the word of truth. That's a discriminating division. That's the kind of thing that you do when, you know, you're cutting something, you're being careful, you're discriminating. You're not throwing away some of the good with the bad. You're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. You're not shooting from the hip. We're training a bunch of, or not training, allowing a, a lot of people to go out there as soul surgeons who are not equipped to discriminate, who aren't going to be careful in their surgery, aren't going to shoot from the hip. Either technically or because they lack the time spent in the community of 
fellow learners with older scholars as well, that even if they have some or most of the technical skills, they still lack some very basic equipment. Yep. And you mentioned time there. People will say, I just don't have the time. It's not that we don't have the time. Time is the wrong word. Care is the right word. We have plenty of time for the things that we care about. Can you imagine someone saying, I don't have time to become a physician. I'm just going to watch some videos. Right. I mean, really? Would you go to a physician who learned surgery of any kind? Yeah. Yeah, I wish I had it. Uh, You know, like my brother is great at this, just rattling off uh, any sports statistic you could imagine. That's wonderful. That's terrific. How did it happen? Well, it happened because he spent 30 years in football and in other sports. He has surrounded himself with people who are disciples of that game. It's critical to get the gospel right because it is the good news of the work of Jesus Christ that is saving. W. Robert Godfrey for Westminster Seminary, California. Uh, We need the whole Bible. We need the whole message of the Bible. We need the help of the law. We need the crushing work of the law. We must never undervalue or underestimate the importance of the law. But it is what Christ did that is saving. And what by trusting in what Christ did, uh, we are saved. It is by receiving the gospel in faith that we're justified and all the other benefits and fruits of Christ's work flow out of that. Westminster Seminary, California, wscal.edu, 888-480-8474. Westminster Seminary, California, for Christ, his gospel, and his church. In the foyer of the library and in the reference room, we have some beautiful wooden shelves and woodwork that were made by a skilled craftsman by hand, right? He wasn't able to do this work when he was 12. And I've known him for almost 30 years. I don't know if he was able to do it 30 years ago, but he can do it now because he's skillful, because he's wise in the way these things are done. He knows what kind of wood to use, what kind of stain to use, what not to use, what kinds of tools to use, all those things that only are learned, they're accumulated and acquired through experience and mistakes and trials and errors and all of those things. That's how you get wisdom. That is, you know, you can apply this to any field. You could think of law, for example. What does a judge do before deciding a very important case? He looks at precedents. Yeah. Which is wisdom, right? It would be foolish to decide a tough case from your gut taking some recourse to the legal precedents. And the church does that by saying, all right, the wisdom of the church in past ages isn't normative as Scripture is, but certainly the creeds and confessions above all, subordinate to Scripture, give us the landmark cases. These are how the landmark cases were decided that constitute orthodoxy, at least in terms of the ecumenical creeds and our confessions. So it would be foolish for us to say, I just go to my Bible and basically reinvent past errors as well as find truth. No, I I have to learn how to discriminate between good tradition and bad tradition, to discriminate between clear passages in Scripture and not-so-clear passages in Scripture. The Puritans had a great word for this, as you know, Scott, circumspection. Circumspection. And it comes from a compound of two Latin words meaning looking around. They wrote volumes of case study. William Perkins is perhaps the most famous one, Cases of Conscience. It's a thick book. Uh, What is this? Well, it's basically a pastor, after many years in pastoral ministry, telling other pastors how he worked with people who had very different issues that they needed pastoral care for. What they recognized right out of the gate was that most of the issues that come up in our lives, not just as pastors, but as Christians, most of the things that come up are not black and white. 
You can't just apply a universal rule to an abstract situation. These are concrete situations. It may not be the case that every single person who walks through your door shouldn't get a divorce. There may be serial adultery and abuse of various kinds. So what you find in this book is William Perkins telling you what he and pastors he knows did in these very concrete, specific cases, applying biblical truth in a discerning, discriminating way to a particular situation. What we have today is ethics, and not concrete, specific, local, particular situations, but abstract, general, universal laws. I'm thinking here of Immanuel Kant. And now people don't think that those apply. Kant said that we should only do that which we would will to be done universally. And he made that, in effect, a replacement for the law of love. Love your neighbor as yourself. Those are two very different things. And what does that mean? Here's where wisdom comes in. How do I love my neighbor? Especially think of my brother and sister. Calvin talks about this when he discusses Christian liberty. He says, when I have a brother who stumbles because he has not yet learned that he has Christian liberty, for example, to buy a new suit, let's say, or to drink wine, or the liberty to go to a movie. Well, if the first thing you do with that new believer is to take him to a movie or buy him a bottle of wine, you're harming that person. That's not love. That's very different from a situation where you're having dinner with friends and they open a bottle of wine and you're very happy to share it with them. But, he says, if someone comes to you and takes the form of a Pharisee and he's not stumbling, but he thinks you're stumbling by what you're doing, exercising your Christian liberty, then you aren't at all obligated to follow his instruction. Well, now think of how in each of those situations, you have a different application of the law of love. And Calvin says, follow the law of love and everything will be okay. <laughs> now, that might be a little bit uh, more easily said than done, but his point is really good. In order to be able to apply this principle of love, you have to acquire wisdom and discernment in this situation, but not in that one. And discretion. Discretion, yeah. You're listening to Office Hours from Westminster Seminary, California. Now, at the very beginning, you quoted Aristotle, and the listener might have thought to himself, well, that's interesting. I thought only believers have wisdom. So as we begin to draw this to a close, let's just think about this. Can we distinguish between natural wisdom or creational wisdom or skill in living and supernatural wisdom? Yeah. Well, in book two of his uh, Nicomachean Ethics, Aristotle distinguishes virtue as being of two kinds, intellectual formed by teaching and moral formed by habit. Both require experience over time. You have to learn teaching takes time, and habits take time. You don't acquire a habit just by doing something twice. And he even points out that ethike, from which we get ethics, is formed by a slight variation from the word ethos, meaning habit. So people become builders by building, musicians by playing, and so forth, what we've talked about before. What's interesting is that for Greeks like Aristotle and the biblical writers, wisdom is an intellectual virtue. We tend to separate intellectual matters from ethical matters. No, 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 no. Aristotle says it's an ethical virtue to be wise. And in fact, Plato said that prudence is the charioteur of all virtues. So what's in the driver's seat here? Discrimination, prudence. 
not being gullible, not being sucked in. Paul applies this to Christians when he says, stop being children tossed around by every wave of doctrine, but grow up, mature into full adulthood, into him who is the head, even Christ. And then you'll be speaking the truth in love to one another, and you will live not as the Gentiles in the futility of their minds, but will grow up in Christ and will live as a disciple of Christ. So there are a lot of similarities. There are also big differences. For one, Greek wisdom tends toward contemplating universal, timeless, eternal principles, whereas biblical wisdom is rightly dividing the word of truth. It is a matter of very concrete, specific commands that God has given us in Scripture. You know, it's not hard to get. It's something that he has given to us. The law is as near, says Deuteronomy, as the commandments that we hear. And so he's told you, O man, God says through Micah, what the Lord requires of you, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. It's concrete. It's specific. We can learn real wisdom from non-Christians, and that's because by virtue of their creation in the image of God, we share certain things with them. Yeah. And so our whole tradition has always valued the good things that we can learn from Aristotle and lots of other folks yeah. who were not believers. Nevertheless, Paul distinguishes in 1 Corinthians 1, 20 and 21, between two kinds of wisdom. And so maybe we should think about that for a moment. He says, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. So how do we relate Paul's distinction here to what we've been saying about learning from Aristotle and others. Yeah, very important question. The distinction here is between wisdom in earthly things and wisdom in heavenly things. You could have gotten the advice to observe the ant and learn things from how they behave from Aristotle or Plato or Hammurabi. But what you can't get is wisdom in heavenly things. The philosophers show their utter blindness, despite their erudition in things earthly, they show their utter blindness when it comes to trying to speculate about God or the gods or ultimate things or what happens when we die, the nature of the soul, all these things. They're like cats chasing their tail. And that's because biblical Biblical wisdom ultimately points us to Jesus Christ. The book of Proverbs is surely a treasure trove of wisdom. I think one of the greatest climaxes of Job, the whole jostling over wisdom, is Job's realization, I know that my Redeemer lives and that at the last he will stand upon the earth and I will behold him with my own eyes. This body, I will see in this body, not another. This body, after it decays and rots, will be raised again, and I will behold my Redeemer. And that's what Paul says when he says in 1 Corinthians 1.30 that Christ has been made for us, not only our justification and, and sanctification, but wisdom from God. The truest wisdom, the most important wisdom, is not how to ride a bike, how to discriminate between the good, the better, and the best when it comes to life decisions. As important as all that is, the most important wisdom we have is the wisdom that comes from God in Jesus Christ as he's clothed in the gospel. Thanks for listening to Office Hours from Westminster Seminary, California. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe now to Office Hours in iTunes. Find all the shows at wscal.edu slash office hours. Copyright Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved.